Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Gospel of John, chapter 17. Those that are visiting with us this morning, we've been studying through Gospel of John, chapter 13 through 17 for uh, several months now. And uh, probably the most action-packed seven days uh, in the history of mankind, especially for Christ and his disciples. Without a doubt, the most passion-filled seven days uh, in the history of mankind, especially for Christ and his disciples, is a time of instruction, teaching the disciples that were there and you and I uh, what we're to be busy doing uh, in post-Pentecost work, in that work that uh, will begin to take on uh, the church, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ Church is going to take on, uh, and they'll be taking it on without his bodily presence. And so this was a, 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 a huge point of transition for these men, and, and not one that could just be entered into without a great deal of teaching and training. And uh, again, I, I just am impressed over and over and over again by the passion of our Lord. I, I, cannot, I cannot read this passage without from time to time just seeing my Lord and, and hearing his voice begin to quake and, and, and to, to shake and to break and from time to time see him, you know, wiping a tear as he knew what these guys were going to face and he knew that they were ill-equipped for it at this point in time. And, and there was such a love between he and them, and such a bond, and such a, uh, it goes beyond friendship. I know I mentioned it in my prayer a minute ago, but we've, for too long, worshiped God without the emotion of tears and sorrow and joy. It's not just one direction, it's in every direction. Uh, my heart has been saddened for months now at, at, at the, the slump that we've been in for months. And, and, the, the, just, and you say, well, but numbers is the Lord's work, and it is. But it ought to break faith's heart to see those numbers going down. And it ought to, it ought to stir some tears of concern and some, some time in the altar of prayer and and, and seeking God's leadership, and, and, and our Lord was passionate, and we've come to the place now where we're so dignified, and we sit in all of our finest, and, and we, we are afraid to get excited. We're embarrassed to be sad. Our Lord was passionate. He wept over Jerusalem. His heart hurt. Because what he had come to do, and yet they would not. Hear the words of our passionate Lord in John 17. These words spake Jesus. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Perfect tense there means the hour has arrived and it's not going anywhere. What Jesus is saying, Father, the moment and time that we have been looking forward to since before the foundation of the world has come and there's no stopping it, there's no altering it, there's no changing it. Father, I know that the pain and the agony of the cross 
is just moments away. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son in order that thy Son may also glorify thee. As you've given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, Father. I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. I kept them in thy name. Those, thou hast, those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee and pray these things. I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that, the that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. I love the last few verses. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. I don't know a more precious part. Father, I wish those that were our children, Father, I wish they were here now with us. 
that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. We began to look last week as we've slowly gone through all of these chapters in this chapter. We began to look last week at what I believe we began to see in, in about verse uh, 13 is some hallmarks of the Christian life. Things that people ought to be able to look at us and say, yep, I know that's a child of God. I can see it. And it's not because of the t-shirt we wear. It's not because we have a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on our car. And it's not because we're just necessarily whisper, you know, whistling some particular tune or something like that. But just traits, characteristics of our life, things that are true of our life every day. And so that they know that we are his children. We talked last week about that first one in verse 13, joy. Uh, again, gone is the, uh, the, the true expression of our joy. I'm not saying gone is our joy, our, our joy may be there, but it is so buried and so hidden that the world often does not see it anymore. Gone, it seems, is the joy. And, and one of the hallmarks whereby God's people can be recognized should be joy. Uh, look at the world. They have moments of happiness. They have moments of excitement. Excitement. There's not, a, there's not a Razorback fan in the world that wasn't excited yesterday to see, you know, that the Hogs were able to get back on a winning track and to do so decidedly. However, if that all falls apart in a couple of weeks, what happens to those same people? You see what I'm saying? The world does not have joy. They have moments of happiness and, and, and temporary things of pleasure, but they do not have joy. And so when we appear like them without joy and yet they know that we profess to be a child of God, then they are left wondering, why would I want to be a child of God if you're not any more joy-filled than I am? The first hallmark was joy. The second one that we want to talk about tonight, uh, this morning, is holiness. In chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, just three verses to read again. In verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The most often referred to characteristic of God is that of holiness. Is God a God of love? Absolutely. Is he a God of mercy and full of grace? Yes, we know that. Is he also a God of wrath? Yes, he is. God has all of these different characteristics and all of these different traits that are him. And yet, none of them contradict each other. What he is in his, in, in his holiness does not uh, uh, violate what he is when he is in wrath. What he is in mercy does not violate what he is in holiness. They all work in perfect unity. But the one characteristic throughout the Word of God that is referred to more than any other of the qualities or the features of God is that of holiness. Now, very simple question. If that characteristic, if that quality, that feature of God that is most often spoke about in the Word of God is holiness, and if we are God's people, 
then what should be that one characteristic that be more often than any others spoken about us? It's the same thing, isn't it? Holiness. Holiness. And yet I would dare say that probably of all the words that's used to describe us, often holy is not one of them. Part of that is because of the lifestyle we live. Part of that is because of a faulty understanding of the term holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I'll read several of these verses quickly if you don't have time to get to them. Uh, you jot it down and read them later, or if you don't get a chance to jot them down, see me after service. I'll be glad to give you these references. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, the Bible says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice the term, you are holy, and he talks about being about you have been called out of darkness into light. And already in the first reference, we began to understand a little bit of what it means to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as you also, uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct in all your conduct he's holy you're his child you be holy all right since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile or your journeying here knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb without blemish or spot. Uh, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I know that's a lengthy reading, but notice all the information that we're given. You're to be holy. Why? The one who is holy has called you to be holy as he is holy. And then it is described for us what it means to be holy. Walk away from the old life. Walk away from those desires that you had from your fathers of the flesh and come to those new desires that are yours and, and have that change in your life. That's what it is to be holy. Colossians 3. And we're not going to read all of this one. If you want to read it later, Colossians 3 through 1, uh, 3 chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth, for you have died with your, and your life is hidden uh, in Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also shall appear with him in glory and he goes on he says in verse 5 then put to death put to death what is earthly in you and he gives a long list of those things and then in verse 12 he says put on these things then because you're God's chosen ones and he says this holy and beloved 
We are taught throughout scriptures. He is holy. He has, he has bought us. We are saved. We are his children. We are to be holy as he is holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only, do good, uh, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Paul uh, is, or Peter is writing to those that are slaves, and he's saying, listen, some of you have masters. Those masters are good men. They're kind to you. They treat you fair. Others of them are rotten scoundrels. Others of them are mean, and, and, and they're, they're, they're not good. They're unjust. They're unfair. Now, we don't have masters in that sense, but the same idea of employee-to-employer relationship can exist here. And, and Peter's saying, listen, you being subject unto them, whether they're good or bad, doesn't matter. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustice. And he goes on again and he says, listen, you are a holy people. And so you've taken off those things and you've put on these things. We must ask ourselves at this junction, what does it mean to be holy? It comes from the Greek word hagiazo. The, the verb is hagiazo and then the, the noun form of it is, is pronounced very, very much the same way. But it's translated by different words in the New Testament. Sometimes it's translated as holy. Other times it's translated as sanctify or sanctification or being a saint. Other times it's translated as devotion or consecration. Whatever the translation, the idea is always the same. So let me tell you what being holy or being a saint is really all about. It is about separation. To be a saint is to be separated. To be separate from. And you can't be separate from something without being separate unto something else. To be holy is to have that act of separation that separates me from this and separates me unto that. Some have seen it as a behavioral pattern for life that says don't do this and do this. But I would suggest to you today that there are those in, in our world and there are those religions that, that put forth the do's and the don't do list. And they determined that by following those lists, you now are holy. And I would tell you that there were thousands of people throughout Christ's life and since then that followed lists of do's and don'ts. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you saints. He said, you are a, 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 a pit of vipers. You are hypocrites. Woe unto you. You draw close to me with your lips, but what? Your heart's way off over there. You can do and don't all you want to do, but it will not make you holy. It, it can make you legalistic. I, I remember when we first started, uh, when I first started pastoring, and, and, and we were going to Bog Springs, taking kids up there for church camp, and hopefully we'll have some kids that will want to go this year, but we, we, we would take kids up there, and, and boy, when you're the new pastor in association, they're quick to give you a job that first week of camp. And so the first week of camp, they saw me. I was a great big old guy, a lot bigger then than I am now, and they said, well, you know what? He'll make a good rules enforcer. So I got to study all the rules. And back then we had rules about the length of shorts. Do I think a child of God ought to be careful about the length of shorts they wear? Absolutely. 
But do I think we can become a little legalistic when we have to go around with a, a ruler and measure? Are they exactly no more than two inches above this point or the other? There is a point in a place where we need to understand you cannot legislate righteousness. And we're not legalistic. And we're not supposed to try to, to see how close we can get without falling over the edge. But to understand that we, when we are holy, then it will affect what we wear, won't it? When what is holy is on the inside, then what comes out to the outside will also be holy. But we can make all the outside follow a set of do's and don'ts and it not matter at all in our heart. Again, the, the, the Pharisees, Jesus said, listen, you people go out to your, to, to your gardens and you go to your, your, your herb gardens and you even pull parts of the mint and the cumin and you bring those and offer to me. That's how sticky you are about being holy by doing do's and don'ts. But then you go to some widow and you cheat her out of, your, out of her house. So it's not, it's not all of what we do, but yet at the same time I want you to understand Holiness will be proven by what we do. But it can't start from what we do. It starts from who we are. See what I'm saying? A dog doesn't become a dog because it barks, does it? I don't have to hear a dog bark. I don't have to see his tail wag to know it's a dog. All right? And it's not that, well, I wonder what this animal is. And all of a sudden it roofs. And now, oh, I get it. Now it's a dog. I don't walk up to an animal and wonder, I wonder what you are, until it goes oink, oink. Oh, now I get it. All right. Why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog. Why does a pig oink? It's a pig. All right. Why does a child of God do or not do these things? Because in their heart, they are a holy people. Some say it is, again, it's this keeping up with the do's and the don'ts. The problems with that is, is that that culture, uh, is often that culture is what determines that. When I was a kid, it wasn't the length of shorts. Call us old school, we didn't ever wear shorts to church and church functions. Never happened. Did not happen. And that's why I tell you about the dangers of each generation carrying it further and further and further. My generation... I know churches now that have put on their, on their minute books, we want our young people to take up the offerings on Sunday night, but we have made a motion that they not wear shorts when they do so. We, we, we find ourselves having to do all these things, and, and it wasn't even an issue back then. But that doesn't mean we didn't have issues. You know what the issue was when I was a kid? The length of hair. The length of hair. That's what we fought about. The length of hair. And, and so what happens is often what is righteous, what is holy, while that is subject to culture, isn't it? But David, Tate, what do you think is long hair? Just give me a description of long hair for a man. Anything longer than yours. All right. Trey, what's your definition of long hair for a male? All right. Do you see a problem? Do you see the problem? Who, who's, whose definition are you going to go by? All right? So when we do these do's and don'ts, we're creating a, a, a system of righteousness that is based on men's works and it's based on the opinion of the culture. 
So that's not going to work. Others think that it's a position that is reached by denying the body of all that is bad and, and, and trying to live by all that is good. But again, who defines what is bad and who defines what is good? And when you get down to it, if it's a position that is reached by denying and doing, then wouldn't holiness be attained by our works then? And in fact, Paul says in Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 3, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul says, listen, here's Israel. My heart breaks for them. It wants them to be saved. I'll tell you that these people know the word. They have a zeal for the word. They have a zeal for the things of, a zeal for the things of God. They have a, a zeal to be righteous, to be holy. And God said, here's holiness. And they said, no, we don't want that holiness. We'll develop our own. And so they rejected that one. That's what's going to happen when we say that holiness is a set of do's and don'ts. And holiness is something that, that you accomplish by do's and don'ts. Still others see it as a position that is conferred upon another, usually at the end of their life. And it's based on what they did in that life, what they accomplished. Churches all across the land, St. Mark, St. Matthew, St. John, St. You know, Saint, 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 Saint. And what that is, it is a position or a rank that has been ascribed to somebody after they have been, after they have dead, uh, after they have died, and that they have conferred upon them based on accomplishments of their life. These all lead to legalism and hypocrisy, and they set forth man's works as a mean for securing righteousness. I want you to look with me, if you will, into chapter 17 of our text, verse 19. And I want you to hear what Jesus said. Jesus said, and for their sakes, I what? What did he do? I sanctify myself. Let me ask you a question. If sanctification is, is that position that you reach because you've not done and you've done, how could Christ sanctify himself? Was he not already holy? Was he not always, already righteous? Did not the sinless die for the sinful? How is he going to sanctify himself if that's the definition of sanctification? In Exodus chapter 40, for time's sake, we won't go back and read it, but in Exodus chapter 40, uh, you're going to find that in verses 1 through 13 that Moses is told to go and he is to sanctify Aaron, the priest, and he is to sanctify this and he's to sanctify that. And then he finally comes to the place in those latter verses in the first 13 of Exodus 40, he says, sanctify the altar and then sanctify all the utensils that are used at the altar. Can you make... A pile of stones, holy in the sense that it is some place of position, that it is, it is reached by uh, doing and not doing? No, these are inanimate things. These are, these are objects. These are not people. Those stones weren't holy because uh, some mysterious, mysterious thing happened to them when they were formed. 
They're not holy because they've achieved something. They are holy because Moses sanctified them, and the idea of sanctified is set them apart, separated them. You can't use these rocks for anything and everything. It is inappropriate to take these rocks that have been sanctified, made holy for the altar, and go use them to hold this door open. If you're like a lot of young people, the first time they're going to drive a, a truck and back the boat in the water. That's what Daddy told me, first time I backed the boat in the water. We had a, 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 a three-speed on the column. Son, before you do anything, get a rock and put it behind that back tire. <laughs> Why? Well, because I'm learning how to drive a three-speed on the column, and I'm pulling a boat out for the first time and all this and that and the other, and if you ain't careful, truck, boat, and all is going down in the lake. You know what I'm talking about? I'm telling you, that rock that was holy for the, for the altar is not a rock that is suitable now to be used to scotch the back tire of your truck. That's a rock that has a special purpose. It is separated to that purpose, and to use it for anything else is inappropriate. That's what being holy is. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse uh, 1 Peter chapter 3:15 says, "Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts." Let me ask you, can we make God any more holy than he already is? Absolutely not, but yet we are told to sanctify him. So we begin to understand that this idea of holy more than anything has to do with being set apart. And when you set something apart, you set it apart from that to that. Go back to the rock of the altar. You find a rock anywhere laying around. It has no, it's not been set aside and reserved for something particular and for only that. You can use that rock to scotch a tire. You can use that rock to, to throw at a dog. You can use that rock to, if the dog's going to attack you. You can use that rock to, 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 to do this or that and the other. Use that rock and tie, tie a string around it. Use it for a trot line weight. Whatever you want to use it for. But when that rock now is declared to be the rock that is used in the altar, its only purpose is to be used in the altar and nothing else. When I first started pastoring, there was a church in Pine Bluff. And, and man, they were booming. They had more kids than I knew was even alive in Pine Bluff at the time. And it, and it was because after services, they could roll all the pews out of the way and they had a roller skating rink right there in the auditorium. And they could roll all this stuff out and they'd have concerts and everything right there. And, 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 and my contention with all of that was, is yeah, it's fun, it's exciting, it brings in the kids and all this and that and the other. But I'm telling you, with every ounce of my being, with every belief in my body, this building is set apart for something and it ought not be a place for roller skating. This is a holy place. Not that that fabric couldn't have been used. Listen to me now because you're going to think I said something I didn't say. That fabric could have just as easy been used to upholstery a bar stool as it did the fuse. There's nothing holy about the fabric until that fabric was bought to be used in the house of God. From that moment on, it became holy fabric in that it is set apart not to be used for this or that and the other, but be used in the worship and the service of God Almighty. This building ought to have certain things go on in it and certain other things ought not be allowed. It's holy. But that doesn't mean it holds some position or rank over all the other buildings of the world. All right? So the idea of being set apart, set apart from all this other stuff and set apart to 
this. And that same idea works in what we're talking about. Jesus said, I set myself apart, Father, from my own whim, my own desires. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? Well, if, if he did, uh, uh, if he did, then why did he pray, Father, let this pass? He didn't want to go to the cross. But when he said in chapter, seven, uh, uh, chapter 17, verse 19, I sanctify myself. Father, I have set myself apart from what I want, and I have set myself apart unto that which you have called me to do. Father, I'm going to the cross. The hour has come. I'm not going to throw Peter under the bus while I run. Father, the hour has come, and I have been set apart not to build my own name, not to make a following of myself, and not to bypass that cross. But, Father, I was set apart from all of those things to do your work. 1 Peter 3.15, I said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And that's what I'm talking about. Set apart the Lord God in your heart as being the ruler of your heart. All right? Paul talks about the, the, the heart uh, being, being uh, um, unified, if you will. And that is the idea that it's not torn with 18 different masters. You know, I, I, I have my wants, I have my desires, I have this, I have my wife, I have my bosses, I have this, I have kids, I have grandkids, I got, I got job responsibilities, all this and that and the other. And somewhere, somewhere, generally for an hour on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday night, maybe on Wednesday night, I'll let God be king of my heart. No, what Peter's saying is you set, a, you set the Lord aside in your heart as the ruler of your heart 24-7. And when you do that, people are going to want to know what's different about you and you get the opportunity to share Christ with them. It is true that being holy is a positional thing. God made us holy when he bought, when he bought us with his blood. But there is also the truth that holiness is practical. It is practical. How? Let me very quickly share with you a few things of how we can become holy. Jesus answered it very quickly in chapter 17, verse 19. He said, sanctify them, how? Through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Child God, I'm not going to ask you who does, who doesn't, how much time. But I'm telling you, based on the authority of the word of God, if this book, y'all hear me? If this book is open on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night at the most in your life, you can hang up the idea of being sanctified. Jesus said sanctification comes how? Anybody out there this morning? Truth. Where is truth? Right here. Does it not make sense then that if the only time I pick this up is Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, or if I'm a Sunday school teacher and it's Saturday night and I've got to put together my Saturday night special so I'll be ready to teach Sunday morning, if that's the only time I pick this book up, I am going to struggle in being holy. I'm going to struggle in sanctification, that, that practical part of it. I'm not going to be set apart to God and set apart from the world if I don't spend time in his book. For did not the psalmist say, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We struggle trying to be holy without going to the source that makes us holy. It's here. Jesus said, 
I've sanctified myself, Father, to set the example for them. Sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. In Colossians earlier, we read that Paul said, if you want to be holy, you've got to set your mind on things that are above. You've got to fix your mind on things that are above. You, you, you keep your mind fixed in this world down here, and this world is filled with jealousy and envy and strife and, and bickering and fighting and, and immorality and lies and pride and arrogance. And, I mean, that's all the stuff in this world. There is not a person alive that can blame breaking the law on a video game. All right? They broke the law because they're sinful and they have not let Jesus control that aspect in their life. However, you keep your mind fixed on things of the world and it will affect you. All right? It will affect the child of God that keeps his mind on the things in this world and in this life. Be holy, how? Through truth. Which is basically what I'm just saying in this. Set your mind on things that are above. Paul also said in the book of Colossians that we had to seek, seek, search for. Not on Sunday morning, not on Sunday night, but seeking his will. When's it going to get time that God is more important than building a house, building a career, making sure we're ready for this or that and the other? Y'all been watching and listening to what's going on lately in the, in, in the media? For years we were told that the average lifespan of man is here and so you work up into here, you've got to have enough money to get you from here to death. But now what are they saying? What's happening now? Y'all not hear this stuff? I hear it all the time. People are living longer than they used to and so they're finding out that <laughs> I don't have enough ready. And so there's all these commercials and all this talk about, and, and I'm just, listen, I'm not saying that's wrong. God knows I need to do a better job of that. But I'm telling you, if we would put near as much attention in seeking the things of God as we do in seeking to get our house where we want it, in seeking to gain all the toys we want, in seeking to make sure that we have enough money to get us until we die, if we would seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But all the junk of this life keeps our minds here. Philippians 4, 8, Paul said, Whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. Why? Because the path to transitioning from just being positionally holy to being practically holy is that we got to get our mind out of this world and realize that this world is not my home. And this world has a lot of shiny stuff that allures. But this world has nothing, nothing to compare to the beauties and the glory and the joy of heaven and nothing that will compare to being able to stand before the master and hear him say, well done. Well done, good 
and faithful servant. Jesus said, the mark that should, that should be most obvious in us is holiness. And it's not because we go through robotically do and don't, but it's because we realize what we are, and so that changes what we do and what we don't. And we're not going to do that until we get in his word. Romans chapter 6, and I'll close. How do we move from here? Thy word is truth. It's through his word. We have to seek those things. We have to set our mind on some things. And then very simply, Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and several other places, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourself dead to those things. I've shared with you time and time again how many times I'd walk an aisle and I'd take Brother Stanford by the hand and say, Brother Stanford, I can't, I, I can't do this. Every week I, I come here and I, I rededicate my life and I go to school and, it, and, and I find myself doing all that stuff and I come back the next weekend and I'm back down here in the altar praying, crying, upset because my life is such a mess and I've made such a mess out of it and I find myself doing these things that I know are wrong, these things that are horrible, these things that I hate doing. I just can't do it, Brother Royce. But Stanover said, problem is not that you won't. If you're his child, you can. The problem is not that you won't, Jeff. The problem is that you can't. Uh, that, uh, the problem is not that you can't. The problem is that you won't. I'll get it right in a minute. And that's what Paul's saying. You have to say, you know what? That old Jeff Chrysler that wanted to drink and party and, 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 and talk about things he shouldn't talk about with all the rest of the guys at high school to make him look big, that guy that, that used to be Jeff Chrysler that would step on whoever he had to step on to you know, promote his own uh, agenda and his own path. And, and the guy that used to be Jeff Chrysler that just he lived for the pleasure of sin for the moment and, and the here and the now. And, and yes, all that Jeff Chrysler existed and he is still physically alive. But there is a new Jeff Chrysler that's alive now too. And I got to consider all of that old stuff to be dead. Paul always said, consider yourself dead unto sin, but what else? Alive unto righteousness. That's separated from and separated unto something else. Every church I know of right now, every pastor I know of is standing scratching their head trying to figure out How come it's been months since we've filled the baptistry? How come it's been years since we've seen somebody walk an aisle at the close of a service and come to their pastor and say, or come to the preacher up there and say, I'm lost, can I be saved today? Every pastor, every church I know today is scratching their head trying to figure out how do we get back to where we used to be at least? And then go forward. We, every week we're going further and further, slipping further and further. It, it was alarming when we went from 60s to 50s. Now we're going from 50s to 40s. When do we turn the tide? And how do we turn the tide? And the answer to that is in God's people being God's people and having the characteristics of God's people. The first one we looked at was joy. And the second one was a holy nature that says, My life is not lived to serve me. My life is lived to serve God. I am separated from that unto that. 
and as I am separated to serve God, then that dictates where I go, what I do, how I dress. And as long as I'm at peace, Trey, with God, that my hair's this long, okay? Or as long as I'm at peace, Brother David, that my hair is hours long. As long as I am peace with God. Because in the bottom line, I care what others think. But not when it comes to me and God. I am much more interested in what does God think. I tell you what, a lot of preachers won't preach the word of God anymore because they're afraid of what people will think. And I, I care what you think. I love you dearly. That's why it breaks my heart to see us where we're going. But if I have to choose whether to please you or please him, I'm sorry, y'all took a second, second seat. We must live to serve and please him. That's what being holy is really all about. Jesus said, I made myself holy so that Peter could see it, so that Matthew would see it, so that Randy would see it, so that Charles would see it, so Bill would see it, so Jeff would see it, in order that they might sanctify themselves through truth and through the setting of their mind and the reckoning of themselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God. Father, we come to you today. Lord, I pray that your will was done. If I've said anything that should not have been said, Father, I ask for your forgiveness and the forgiveness from these people. And Father, I pray that we would take a real hard look at ourselves, starting with me in my life. Our holy God has bought us with the blood of his son. And he's asked us now to take on his holy nature. We're to be holy as he is holy. Father, help us that we might get back to the business of pleasing you above ourselves and above the world. Help us to fix our minds on things that are on your mind. Burden our hearts for our failures. Call forth once again the tears that need to flow from repentance. The tears that need to flow for sorrow. The tears that need to come forth for burden. For your kingdom work and the tears of joy. For the forgiveness of sins that we can experience. Lord, move in our midst today. May your will be accomplished. May we be honest with you and ourselves now as we have had your word to look at us. Tonight's Lord's Supper. We need to take this as a holy person. Father, help us today to prepare for that event tonight. May your will be done, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.